today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. As we look at this, the first and the last, when Jesus declares himself as the first and the last, you know what? He's connecting himself totally with deity at that point in time. And then when he uses that phrase, who was dead and came back to life, it reminds the church that he too suffered greatly. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. And that he resurrected from the grave. And so for them to understand and know that they serve a a risen Savior. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal or everlasting life. And Jesus says, and I will raise him up in the last day. There are many gods with a little g out there today. People will try and worship just about anything, it seems. What Pastor David is teaching us today through Revelation is about God with a capital G. Jesus, the Christ, is the only God who has ever risen from the dead. The rest of the gods that people worship or idolized died and they stayed dead. That doesn't seem very godlike, now does it? We would be wise to take account of anything that we may put above Jesus in our lives. He is the only God. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Open Word. to start this evening in uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, and we read this. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who is dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. These four short verses, and yet there's so much in here as far as the message to this particular church. First of all, as we shared, as we got into this study in Revelation, when he says unto the angel, that word angel is actually, can also be uh, uh, translated as messenger. And since nowhere in scripture do we really find that there are any particular angels over particular churches. I believe God uses a lot of angels, okay? Uh, I know we've needed uh, quite a bit through the years. I'm not sure that there is a particular angel over any particular church. The assumption is, is that in a city as large as Ephesus and Smyrna, that there were probably numerous house churches all scattered throughout the city. And the fact is the intent of the message was toward the individual church and not to the messenger. He said, 
unto the messenger write these things to the church, to give them to the church. It's a good possibility that the message was addressed to either an overseer or a bishop or simply to some various messengers that John was able to give these words to and then they would take them out to the churches. We don't know for sure. Church tradition tells us that uh, a man by the name of Polycarp was an early church leader and he was actually the bishop over the churches of Smyrna. Polycarp was actually a, a disciple or a student of the Apostle John. So he like, uh, it's like secondhand right from Jesus. He was taught, he was discipled by the Apostle John and now he's leading this church in Smyrna. Smyrna was kind of an interesting city. Uh, don't know if you have the uh, book of maps in your Bible, but uh, in that whole area of the seven churches, Smyrna was still along that western coastline of what is now today Turkey. It's about 40 miles north of Ephesus, a pretty major city, and it's estimated to be actually about 4,000 years old, and it actually still remains today. Today there is a Turkish city by the name of Izmir. And it's the same city. Of course, they built and rebuilt and rebuilt, but in the same location, the same city. And it's today Turkey's third largest city and its second most important port city. Uh, today, if you were to go there, you'd see a, a city that's lined with all kinds of uh, palm trees, uh, avenues, parks, set in the circular bay around this inlet where the, the ships would come in. Uh, it has mild climate. Uh, it was a busy commercial. It was a busy industrial area. And it's pretty much the gateway to that whole region there. But even in the time of the Apostle John, Smyrna was an amazingly beautiful, beautiful city. The architecture of the city, uh, as they've gone through archaeologically and dug these things up, you see just the beauty of all of these things, the marketplaces, the, the, the porticos, the arches, all this Romanesque architecture all over it, absolutely beautiful, topped with this broad acropolis above this hill. There was also a 20,000-seat auditorium that they had or a theater, and that was only the beginning of the beauty of that city. To add to its beauty and also to gain favor with Rome, back in 195 B.C., Smyrna built an elaborate temple to Dia Roma, the goddess of Rome. And along with the goddess of Rome, well, a little bit later during the lifetime of Jesus, actually in 26 A.D., they also built a temple for the emperor Tiberius. And so they pretty well established themselves in the Roman culture there and also as a place of emperor worship because emperor worship was starting to become very, very popular during that time. It's amazing. For a while, they would worship the dead emperors. But pretty soon it got to be where the emperor that was in charge at that time was kind of jealous that you were worshiping the dead guy. He wanted to be worshipped. So now he became God, and so they would build also temples for them. Along with those two major temples, they also had temples to the goddess Sibyl and to Zeus and to about three or four others. And so the pagan influence in that area was just absolutely enormous, just overwhelmed in the beauty of this city was just the grossness of all of this pagan worship that was taking place. Major problem of this city, as beautiful as it was, the architects, when they designed it, 
unfortunately, they forgot to put any design for drainage within the city. So whenever it would rain and in the mountains and in the areas, it would come into the city and the streets would all flood and they'd be filled with silt up to a foot or so uh, deep. And so they would continually having to have these cleanup campaigns. So here maintaining the beauty of this city and yet didn't think it through totally. City of Smyrna was also uh, famous for science and medicine and we don't see it as easy in the, the name that we see now in Smyrna, but the region and that city are linked together uh, with a plant that was named after the city. Uh, the, uh, the, the plant was indigenous to the Middle East and also to northern Africa, and when the sap was dried, it produced a particular type of incense. Anybody got a guess what it might be? Smyrna? Myrrh. There we go. Yeah. It produced myrrh. So it was very popular for, for myrrh in that area. Uh, so with the message to the church in Smyrna, he says, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And again, we, we established in our study weeks ago that the, that, that Jesus Christ himself is the one that's dictating this letter to John to give to these messengers who would then take them to the churches. Again, as John received these things, writing them down. And as we look at this, the first and the last, when Jesus declares himself as the first and the last, you know what? He's connecting himself totally with deity at that point in time. And then when he uses that phrase, who is dead and came back to life, it reminds the church that he too suffered greatly. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, and that he resurrected from the grave. And so for them to understand and know that they serve a a risen Savior, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal or everlasting life, and Jesus says, and I will raise him up in the last day. You know what that is, that was, and hopefully that should always be the hope of the believer. Amen? If you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, I'm not really sure why you're here tonight, okay? We're here because we do believe that there is a resurrection from the dead, that there is an eternity that God is going to raise all those who are dead in Christ are going to be raised up together to be with Christ for eternity. There is a resurrection. Jesus tells the church at Smyrna in verse 8, he says, I I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but actually you're rich. You've got to realize how encouraging this has to be to that church. I think to any church, when Jesus says it's good, it's a good thing. And he says, I know about your works. I know about your tribulation. And I know about your poverty, but you gotta realize you're rich. This was a tough place. Their pagan culture was filled with every kind of evil, every kind of wickedness imagined. That was the Roman culture. They had absolutely no standard of morality. Uh, just the wickedness in so many of, even of their places of, of temple worship. The immorality that took place in these and all throughout the streets in the city, it was there. And the Christians were right in the middle of it. 
right in the middle of it. We look at things today, and I know that there's been a lot on, on the news about this state bill, uh, 1062 and, and all that's going on there. But you know what? We haven't seen anything yet. We don't know anything about that. For them, they knew that they were aliens there. They knew that that was not their final home, that their final home was in heaven above. Now, they then had to live their life to the utmost for the glory of Christ in every situation. That's difficult. I am so torn on some of this stuff. I really am. Because in some things I can see the good points of, hey, passing some laws. But then on the other side, I see, you know what? How about Christians just being Christians, even if we're in a pagan situation? How much influence are we going to be as true and honest believers in the midst of things rather than passing laws? Now, again, I'm... I'm tossed back and through. You talk to me in an hour later, and I might be the other way. But in reality, I look at these guys here. I look at the New Testament church. I see the church all through the ages. The church lost most of its power in 300 A.D. when it became legalized. The life and the breath of the church lost most of its power when it became legalized. So you look at this beautiful city, but the very core of the city was every imagination of their hearts was only evil continually. According to William Barclay, emperor worship was now in full swing. He writes that emperor worship had begun a spontaneous demonstration of gratitude for Rome. But toward the end of the first century, in the days of Domitian, and this is the time that John is writing, the final step was taken and Caesar worship became compulsory. You had to sign up for it. Uh, anyway, that you didn't catch that one. But uh, anyway, once a year, the Roman citizen must burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the godhead of Caesar. And having done so, he was given then a certificate of guarantee that he had performed his religious duty. All that the Christian had to do, Barclay continues, was to burn that pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord, then they could receive their certificate, they could go away, and then they could worship as they pleased. But you know what? That was precisely what the Christians wouldn't do. They they, they wouldn't give any man the name of Lord, the name that they would keep for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. They wouldn't even pretend to conform to that requirement. Because again, for them, their, their, their stand in the Lord was so powerful in their life. Oh, there were some that did, but I believe more than anything, it showed what their real and true commitment was or was not at that point. You see, the Romans didn't really care if you worship Jesus as long as you also worship Caesar. You could worship, I mean, they had multiple gods, so Jesus could just be a, a god that you worship, but you better be worshiping Caesar too. But that was the problem that they had with the Christians, and as a matter of fact, they called the Christians atheists, because they wouldn't worship all the Roman gods. And so that's the reason why the Christians received such great tribulation during that time. Now it's also interesting, those Jews didn't have to perform this ritual. Do you know that? Only the Christians. 
The Jews were excused from it for whatever reason. But as the Christian faith broke further and further away from being a sect of the Jews, then they looked at them, again, as as, as needing to pass that requirement of worshiping Caesar. And so the persecution became uh, uh, more intense, continued to grow. Many of the believers, they lost their jobs, they lost their homes. They were bullied, literally, throughout the whole culture of the Roman uh, Empire, both by Romans and by Jews, too, because neither the Romans or the Jews liked them. In fact, both of them hated them. So any chance or opportunity that they had, both Roman and Jew would come persecute the Christian. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the early Christians joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods, knowing that they had a better and enduring possession for themselves in heaven. What an interesting concept that is, even for us today in our culture. Listen, I know that we live with, with great freedom and, and, and we fought for this freedom. God gave us a great freedom in this nation. But the unfortunate reality is because of this great freedom, the church by and large has become almost anemic, almost to the point of absolutely no power. Why? Because it does not mean everything to them. For the Christian of the first century, it meant everything. I'm going to lose my job? That's okay. I'm going to serve Jesus. You're going to burn my house down? It's okay. I'm going to serve Jesus. You're going to arrest my wife and daughter and throw them in with the wild animals? That's okay. I'm going to serve Jesus. That's how real it meant. And I wonder really how much if the press were on us today because it has been so easy for us to be believers today. How many would take the pinch of incense and just burn it in there? But that's okay. I still love Jesus. Jesus said that he knew their poverty, but that in reality they were rich. You realize that nothing, absolutely nothing, this side of heaven is going to last? It's like a friend of mine has always said, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. They say that the only thing that's that was man-made that will last in eternity are the scars on Jesus' hands and feet. Everything else is gone. Everything else is done away with. Even as beautiful and rich as Smyrna was, and even though it's lasted as a city for for over 4,000 years, all of that will burn. And yet for the Christian... They're the ones that continue to amass great treasure in the heavenlies as they continue to walk in faith, in hope, and in trust, and in obedience to Christ. Beloved, you you may not have $2 in your savings account, or as my mother-in-law used to say, you may not have two nickels to rub together. But that's not the most important thing. What is your situation in glory? What is your situation in heaven? Where is your heart and your life with him? That is the, of the utmost importance in all of our lives. And yet the unfortunate reality is, yes, even as Christians, more often than not, we strain, we strive, we stress to make sure that we've got a great 401k, to make sure that we've got the house with all the bells and whistles, to make sure we've got the latest vehicles, to make sure that we've got all of these things knowing that yet all that's going to burn. All of that's going to burn. Interesting, isn't it? The the church in Laodicea, over in chapter 3 of Revelation, 
they considered themselves to be rich. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus told them, you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, but you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I wonder what the church today says. I wonder if we say, hey, you know what? We're doing fine. Why? We've got big buildings. We've got this. We've got that. Everything's doing good. We've got savings accounts. We're doing this. We're doing that. Everything is wonderful. I wonder what the church says, but then I wonder even more, what does Jesus say about us? Because, again, as much as I concern myself about these things, and undoubtedly we all do, about, well, where's the checking account balance? Are we going to be able to pay these bills and all these bills? I don't think the Lord worries about these things. What he's worried about is your relationship, my relationship with him, and whether the treasures are being built up in the heavenlies. The Jews, due to their hatred of the Christians, they assisted the Romans in every way possible to continue the persecution. Jesus tells the church there in Smyrna in verse 9, he says, And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This idea of the synagogue of Satan, I've spoken about both here with the church of Smyrna, but also with the church of Philadelphia. In Revelation 3, 9, we read, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. When he says the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, I, we, we don't have a real clear direction there of, of what exactly it means, but I believe that it could be twofold. Number one, the blasphemy against Jesus himself as the Jews would come against the Christians. But I also believe that it's the blasphemy of the Jews who say they are Jews, and yet they're not truly worshiping God at all. Paul tells us in Romans that not all who call themselves Jews were truly Jews. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one naturally or outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. It would seem apparent that the that Judaism of that day had become much, much more political than religious. And when the Jewish leaders kept vying for all kinds of power and position within the Roman culture, there was absolutely nothing spiritual, nothing religious that was going on in any of their actions. Jesus goes on to offer Samaria some continual encouragement. He says, do not fear, in verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, you need to understand they probably already had some suffering. They've already had some persecution that's been going on. But now Jesus says, don't fear what you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested that you will have tribulation 10 days. It's kind of interesting. Why is the Lord allowing them to go through tribulation? Why would the Lord allow his church 
to go through that kind of uh, uh, attack on them. We've come to the end of our time together for today. But if you're not ready to be done yet, you can find additional messages from The Open Word. Pastor David is here to share how you can continue listening. Hey, thanks, Chris. We love getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible. All the teachings you hear on The Open Word have been preserved on our website. You're welcome to access them. Visit theopenword.com to listen to or download the messages God has supplied from His Word. That website again is theopenword.com or you can search for The Open Word Podcast on iTunes and subscribe for free. I'd like to encourage you to take these messages with you on the go. You never know when you'll have a moment of peace in your day, so why not fill it with God's Word? I hope you continue to study the Bible and that it continues to bless you and fill you with His joy. Thanks, Pastor David. We're so glad these resources are available to us whenever we want them. The book of Revelation is so often shrouded in mystery with its outlandish pictures of winged creatures by the throne of God and roaming the earth. As we continue to study, though, we'll be able to discern how these pictures all point to the one spotless lamb who conquered all through laying down his life. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, the lamb, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd love to share the greatest story with you, the one where God came down to earth to join in a relationship with us. That's all for today, but join us next time right here on The Open Word.